0: Welcome to the DE Talk podcast. Tune in for dialogue between HR experts to amp up your HR strategies. Don't worry, we'll mix in a few laughs as we know you need it. There's no denying that 2020 and 2021 have been tough, and tough in a variety of ways. But one area that's taken a major hit, employee well-being, including employee mental health. Everyone has mental health, much like physical health and will experience periods of struggle and mental well-being, so much so that nearly one in four Americans struggle with their own mental health. The pandemic has brought the topic of mental health to the forefront, and renowned athletes like Simone Biles have reignited the ongoing conversation about mental health, disclosure, and stigma. For employers, this topic remains a priority, but why exactly is mental health at work so important? And how can you create a work culture that supports your employees' mental health and emotional well-being? Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Dr. Chris Bojrab to the DE Talk podcast. Dr. Bojrab is the president of Indiana Health Group, the largest multidisciplinary behavioral health private practice in Indiana. He is a board-certified psychiatrist and a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. His areas of interest include psychopharmacology, mood and anxiety disorders, ADHD, sleep disorders, pain syndromes, and gambling addiction. Dr. Bojrab has repeatedly been named one of the top doctors and top shrinks by his peers in Indianapolis Monthly Magazine. I have to tell you, that kind of made me laugh when I read that, but welcome, (laughs) Dr. Bojorab. It's my pleasure to be able to chat one-on-one with you today. You are an amazing addition to our DE Masterclass Disability Roundtable series in May, and I'm excited to continue the conversation with you today.
1: Well, thank you very much for the invite. I enjoyed participating in the uh, roundtable, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation today.
0: Oh, good. Well, let's start by sharing a little bit about your background and your your current area of focus. You have quite a quite a quite a lot of words that I had to read, and I was afraid I would stumble over. <laughs> so, why don't you tell us about yourself?
1: Sure thing. So, I, I am a psychiatrist in the, in private practice up on the north side of Indianapolis, up in Carmel, Indiana, uh, with a group called Indiana Health Group, and I. Um, I I see patients across most age ranges, so I'll see kids down to six, although I'm not boarded in child psychiatry. Uh, Most of my patients are adults. I do see some senior adult patients. Uh, I really uh, primarily focus in psychopharmacology, which is um, the the use of various medications or other types of somatic treatments um, for a variety of mental health conditions. I uh, do a little bit of uh, individual counseling therapy, sometimes some couples therapy, although I'm lucky enough to work with a great team of uh, of therapists who have uh, sometimes greater availability than I do in those areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, but I also enjoy doing a fair amount of consulting work with uh, with industry, either with companies um, looking at mental health care and, and the way that systems in place are are affecting their uh, their workers and their workplace productivity, as well as doing consulting with uh, the pharmaceutical industry. Wow.
0: <laughs> do you have time to eat? <laughs>
1: yeah, I, do. I, I, do. I don't sleep a whole lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. Trust me. I, I had somebody walk in yesterday and say, God, you look tired. And I said, I sleep about two or three hours a night sometimes, you know, and it, it does build up sometimes. So I don't know how you do it. But um, I also understand that you're the team psychiatrist for the Indiana Pacers, and you also provide some assistance as needed to the Indianapolis Colts and the Indianapolis Indians, right?
1: Uh, that, yeah, that's correct. i i've I've been uh, doing some things with some of our local sports teams for for quite a while. Um, although I always tell people the uh, the job with the Indiana Pacers, uh, is probably not as exciting as it sounds. I, I tell people who are old enough to understand this reference that I'm a little bit like the Maytag repairman, that uh, <laughs> uh, they're, they're a pretty psychologically healthy team, pretty well put together. They have a pretty good team culture, so uh, so uh, I, I I rarely have to be uh, getting emergency calls.
0: Well, that, that's good to know, but we're, we're strong supporters of all three teams, so uh, we have season tickets for, for the teams and everything, so we're, I'm glad to hear they're in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> so... I, I, I think people are, are probably most familiar with, you know, the term therapy. You know, a lot of people say, yeah, I go to a therapist. Um, can you explain the difference, though, between therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists? I, I mean, obviously, I know that you can prescribe medicine, and psychologists normally cannot. But how do you differentiate the levels of those three practices?
1: Uh, it certainly it's a very common uh, question. I think there's a lot of confusion about uh, these terms at times. So uh, therapist is a, is actually sort of a more general term. So really people holding the, a wide variety of, uh, of degrees can function as therapists. So um, it, it, more in the vernacular, I think most of the time if people are referring to a therapist or a counselor, they're typically referring to somebody who holds a master's level degree.
0: Okay.
1: These are typically either licensed clinical social workers, licensed uh, marriage and family therapists, uh, licensed mental health um, counselors. Uh, so these are two-year degrees, two years beyond a bachelor's degree, where really that time is spent primarily focused on uh, learning how to do therapy, learning different sort of schools of thought, and and learning how to um, to to be of assistance to uh, to patients primarily through talk therapy. Okay. Psychologists are a um, are a doctoral degree, so these are. Uh, folks who hold either a PhD or a PsyD, um, PSY period D degree. And this is a four-year degree beyond a bachelor's degree. Uh, and the psychologists also function largely as therapists. They do, you know, more sort of individual family, couples, group um, therapy or counseling. They're also frequently trained in more formal assessments. So psychological testing, which oftentimes looks at personality structure, um, uh, uh, other aspects of a person's um, sort of psychological makeup that may help us better understand the way that they experience certain stressors or respond to stressors, Uh, also involved in doing neuropsychological testing, which is a type of testing that's that's a little more detailed and focuses more on looking at brain function, looking at cognition, concentration, focus, memory. Um, And then finally, psychiatrists are medical doctors. So as a psychiatrist after college, I did uh, four years of medical school, just like your internist or your surgeon or your OBGYN or your pediatrician would. And then after graduating from medical school with an MD or a DO degree, um, uh, people that are pursuing psychiatry then go on to do an additional four year residency specializing in psychiatry where we learn more sort of detailed information about the brain. We spend some time doing neurology. Um, there's a little bit of cross-training between neurology and psychiatry. Um, and in addition to, doing, to being trained to do therapy, uh, we're also trained in the more sort of medically-based treatment. So as you mentioned, um, pr- prescribing medicines or the use of other types of treatments um, uh, to, to, to be able to provide those types of services to patients as well.
0: Wow. (laughs) You know, I I do remember you telling me that you had four years beyond medical school in our roundtable, and I had actually forgotten that. But I, I went to school and I was originally going to go into clinical psychology and and the stats just (laughs) stopped me dead in my tracks as an undergrad. So I was like, I don't think I'm going to do psychology. So I ended up going a different route. But um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so sometimes when I'm working with uh, younger patients and they ask me how long I had to go go to school, I tell them I had to go to the 24th grade.
0: (laughs) That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's a long, long time. So no wonder you have those special, uh, abilities that you can prescribe medicine and things like that because you've obviously earned that right (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh so the term mental health and you and i have mentioned this before um when we were talking about the the round table the term mental health has become just a huge topic of discussion during this pandemic and you know it continues to to be present in virtually every conversation that direct employers has and any other employer has across the nation uh, let's just kind of set a baseline for our listeners. What is mental health exactly? How do you define that?
1: You know, it's a, it, again, it's sort of a broad term, but I would I would think about mental health in much the same way that we think about physical health. So what do we consider physical health to be? Well, that's essentially you know ma- maintaining your, your body in, in such a way that you're able to do all of the things that you need it to do. Uh, in all of the different areas of your life. So I think there's a good parallel there with mental health. So I would, um, define mental health loosely as having, uh, sort of the, the, the being able to maintain a mental state or a cognitive state that you are able to, uh, function adequately in all the different areas of your life in terms of how you're interacting with family, friends, um, your, your workplace setting, uh, your social setting, your, um, uh, the 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 things you enjoy to do in your free time, do you have sort of the 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 mental the psychological wherewithal to be able to um, do these things that most of us um, do to get through the day and most of us do as part of day to day life? Um, and not only sort of are you able to do it, but are you able to thrive? Are you able to grow? Are you able to continue to learn? To continue to enjoy things? Um, so it's it's really about that balance about uh, about maintaining your your psychological well-being in such a way that you're able to to handle the the bumps in the road that life invariably throws our way.
0: so interestingly enough, um, what is mental health for one person isn't the same maybe for another person because they would have I, i'm and I'm talking more about in the employment setting because different responsibilities. so, probably different levels of, of what would be considered mental health would would vary from individual to individual then as well, correct?
1: Absolutely, M- much in the way that physical health does. So, you you, you know, certainly there are, there are some among us that are like elite athletes and, and maintain <laughs> their, themselves in just outstanding physical shape compared to others. Um so I don't know that you might call some, you know, the average person unhealthy, but certainly they they enjoy a different level of health than somebody who spends a good deal of their time and energy um, pursuing those things that increase their physical health. And I think you can see the same kind of variability in mental health. So um, you could probably put it like everything else in the world on a bell curve, and you see some people that maybe have higher baseline levels of mental health who tend to be a little more stress hardy, a little bit um, more likely to to roll with the punches uh, as it were. And then other people who may, you know, not enjoy as much buffer there. They may, they may have a little less reserve and, and when, when things happen that are, uh, you know, and when stressful things happen to them in the environment, they may be a little less well equipped to roll with those punches and maybe a little bit more vulnerable at having those life events wind up creating some sort of, you know, clinically relevant mood or anxiety problems.
0: Actually I think that's probably one of the best <laughs> explanations I've heard. I really I think that that explanation, Chris went a long way. I really do think um, that was that was very important for me to hear and probably for the listeners to hear as well. Um, I think one of the the positive attributes of the pandemic, <laughs> if there if there can be, um, but I, I think it's been the shift to bringing mental health conversations to the table. I know when we have our monthly staff meetings, I always try to end each meeting with, please, if, if this is a difficult time for you, we have an employee assistance plan. Please, you know, get the assistance you need. It's free, blah, blah, blah. Um, because I do know that this pandemic is, is difficult on everyone. Um, in your opinion, what do you think is contributing to employees taking a more proactive approach to their mental health?
1: You know, I think there are a number of things that are contributing to employees taking a more proactive approach in their mental health. I I think part of it has just been the sort of unprecedented levels of sustained stress that all of us have been under um, I- at the same time and from the same source throughout the pandemic. You know, every everybody has stressors in their life. It's it's hard to talk to anybody and if you really drill down to it, to, to not find something in their life that's causing some degree of, of stress. Mm-hmm. I think what's been so different in this time is um, regardless of the other individual stressors that we that we may have, we are all in the same boat of the pandemic and we're all living through the the changes that we've all had to make in terms of how we live our day-to-day lives, what we're able to do, um, the, the stress related to a lot of the uh, the just the, the news and the politicalization of, of so many of the things <laughs> that we hear. So I think it's, it's a different type of stress than most of us have had to deal with in a very long time. You know, it's um, it, it's one thing when I've got my stress, you've got your stress and, you know, we all you know, go through these cycles of up and down. Um, uh, but there are the periods of recovery where things are a little bit easier now on top of that, that's always existed. We've layered this rather unrelenting, you know, past year and a half to two years of constant stress that it's almost inescapable, um, regardless of the degree to which it's affected us personally, just from everything that we hear and read and see about it. Uh, so I think that's been one of the things that has, has brought this more to the forefront. I also think as as well that as time goes by, people just become more and more sophisticated um, about mental health. I think although we, we still have um, a fair amount of stigma that can interfere with people seeking treatment, I think that certainly is getting better. I think it's better now than it was 10 years ago, and it's not as good now as it will be 10 years from now.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I think you're exactly right. I've, I've, been paying attention to conversations in my um, organization where when last year parents had to, you know, work from home and their kids had to learn from home and just, you know, the internet outages and, and you know, everybody trying to be on Zoom at the same time in one household. And, you know, I mean, I, I thought at that point, thank goodness my kids are grown, but then I have grandchildren that my <laughs> older daughter had to deal with, too. You know, but now it's kind of like, yeah, well, we had a choice of sending our kids back to school or staying home. So we chose to, to keep them at home. And it's like it's no big deal now, you know, because they've already been through it, dealt with that stress. And, okay, we know how to move forward. So, you know, I guess, like I said, one, one positive in, in the pandemic has probably been trying to figure out how to best handle those types of stressors. But on the flip side What do you think about employers taking note and adjusting their policies and and practices to, you know, accommodate those employees and, and, you know, create workplaces that support their employees, you know, health and and well-being? Have you noticed that?
1: Yeah. And and honestly, I I think in general that, you know, across the country, most businesses really ought to give themselves a, a pat on the back for the way that they've, Uh, responded to these changes, just like, you know, I would say, echo the same thing for, for school systems around the country. Um, we, we were not prepared for this. Um, we were, um, you know, we, we very suddenly found ourselves in a situation where, um, you know, we, we had to change our, our workflows so dramatically and so quickly. Uh, and thankfully this occurred at a time where the, the technology, even if we didn't all individually have it, at least the technology existed to allow us to pivot pretty quickly. Um, So, you know, although there were, you know, there are all, you know, individual, you know, examples that you can point to where this did not go well or was not implemented in a smooth fashion, I, I really sort of think that that's the minority. I think for the most part, we did pretty darn well in our ability to, to flex and to adjust, um, and, and at the very start of this, I actually sort of had more concerns that, um, you know, were employers going to be so concerned about the impact on on productivity that there was there was going to be more resistance to this idea of telework? Uh, and I'm really pleased to, to see that that's really been the exception rather than the rule. And I think it's paid off well for them. I think most employers have been um, pretty surprised at, how well they've been able to continue uh, operations despite having to do so in such a dramatically different way than they were before.
0: (laughs) Well, you made me smile when you were talking about that. You know, we had been kind of toying with remote work, um, you know, or or working from home, I should call it. couple of years before this even started. And we had said, well, one day a week, you can work from home. Well, then maybe a couple of days a week. And then boom, we made the decision. And the next day we all worked from home. Thank goodness we all had laptops and, and that sort of thing. But you know, I have openly admitted that, that the entire association has proven me wrong, you know, that you can be very productive and work from home. And then I was like, oh, geez, well, now how do I ever get people to come back to the office, you know? But it, it is a challenge, but I think everybody appreciated the opportunity to be able to still have a job and work from home and not not lose their job. So yeah, it's been a it's been a learning opportunity, I think, for for both the employers and the employees. So um, that's just kind of a personal situation with our organization. But um, what would you consider to be the biggest mental health issue in the workplace? Stress immediately comes to mind. I know you had mentioned stress. Um, Can you explain the stress cycle
1: Sure. You know, stress, again, is another another one of these, you know, somewhat nebulous terms, meaning different things to different people. But, um, you know, sometimes I think of stress as being synonymous with anxiety, but I think it can encompass more than that. I I, I think of stress as being basically anything that's a change to to our routine expectation of how things are supposed to, to go, some sort of violation in our schema or our understanding of, um, you know, how, you know, how things are supposed to go in each different scenario in my life. So when, when a person, you know, encounters something stressful there, th- this operates at different levels. There, there certainly are the psychological impacts of stress where it raises our level of anxiety. It makes us feel more at risk. Uh, it's, you know, one of the best ang- one of the best descriptions of anxiety I ever heard from a patient was, I can't tell whether I'm not whether or not I'm safe. I can't tell whether or not I'm okay or things are going to be okay. And I always I always remember that. I think that's a, a nice description of stress when it's just hey this this is not how things are supposed to go based on what I've done repetitively in this situation up until now. Um, so I, I think from a psychological standpoint, it's it's disquieting, right? It it takes us out of our routine. Um, it it doesn't allow us to put some things on autopilot that we're normally able to put on autopilot with our expectation about what we're supposed to be doing or how we're supposed to be responding or how we're supposed to be functioning. Um, Physiologically or or medically or neurologically, um, stress causes a lot of changes, a lot of physiologic changes Mm -hmm. in the brain that have really incredibly far-reaching effects uh, that impact our health. You know, sometimes I think people think of uh, of stress as being this nebulous, touchy-feely thing that, <laughs> well, that you know, people are just feeling a little owie. They're just out of sorts. They just, you know, they're just they they just need to somehow pull it together and and just move past it. Um, but 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 that's not the way that we are built. You know, it, it, people actually have definitive physiologic responses to stress um, in the in the presence of some sort of stressful stimuli. There are changes, at very basic structures in the brain that change the way that your body controls the release of cortisol, which is our most important stress hormone. And when this is released for too long at too high of levels, it begins to have these trickle-down effects on other brain chemical systems that actually escape the brain and have an impact in other parts of the body. So with sustained stress, you see these secondary chemical changes in the body that make us Um, less able to regulate our blood sugar. It makes us more susceptible to diabetes. It it makes it less likely that we will be able to regulate our heart rate. It makes our heart rates more variable, puts us at higher risk for heart attacks or strokes. Um, It uh, it changes the way that our immune system functions, and uh, and it can turn these parts of our immune system that are usually there doing a good job you know, warding off infections or surveilling our body for growing cancer cells. And it can change the way that system works and, and stress can make us more vulnerable physiologically to certain infectious diseases, to certain forms of cancer. So there there, there really is a lot going on under the hood, as it were, when people feel stress. So it's not just a um, esoteric um, sort of um, all, all all in your head phenomena um, the way that I think some of us you know grew up thinking about stress
0: that that is interesting. when you were talking about it, I mean, I'm a type one diabetic and and I know very well that a lot of stress will cause my blood sugar to rise. Um, so I do have to to just you know kind of assume that you know, that things could always be always be worse. You know, and and I have my own little ways of dealing with stress. And fortunately, I'm not that stressed. I have a great team. So, but um, yeah, I, I do recognize those 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 issues that do arise sometimes.
1: Yeah, there was an interesting book that was written a number of years ago called "Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers," uh, and it was written by somebody like a veterinarian that was out and looking at uh, animals, and, you know, sort of looking at zebras out on the Serengeti and uh, and, and you would sort of think, well, this is a pretty tough life, right? You're running around <laughs> and you don't know when you might be taken down by a, by a lion. And so they probably have a lot of stress in their life. So they were wondering if they would see the equivalent of, of what we in humans have as stress-related illnesses, uh, including things like gastric ulcers. And they, And they surprisingly didn't. And this got them thinking about things. And there's a big difference in the way that animals and people respond to stress. Uh, because with animals, if you're a zebra and and you see a lion and you guys all start taking off, and all of a sudden your friend Charlie next to you gets taken down by a lion, you actually stop running at that point. You you're, you're like, oh, you know, too bad, bad day for Charlie. But I know the lion's not like a serial killer. He's just out for lunch. He's got his lunch now, so I'm probably safe and I can stop running. Whereas a lion, if a lion came into our workplace. We're going to keep running even if they got our coworker Charlie, right? Because this this is unprecedented. We don't know what's going on. So humans, because of our well-developed brain, we're able to sit there and think and obsess and parse all this, um, and it contributes to a stress response system that doesn't turn off as well as it does in animals. So so stressful events for us are more likely to turn into these longer-term kind of things that we're going to continue to mull over and worry.
0: Oh yeah, I'm gonna to have to get that book. <laughs> so Why zebras don't get ulcers. I'm gonna to have to read no. that. <laughs> so, uh, arguably, the the biggest obstacle um, that we find in the in the way of creating healthier workplaces that that support mental health and the well being of of our employees continues to be that that horrible word stigma um, that surrounds mental illness and mental health conditions and mental health struggles in general. I mean, we've we've you know, talked about, you know, neurodiversity and, and in our roundtables this year, neurodiversity, TBI, PTS, you know, all of these various issues. And, and the Hartford recently surveyed employers nationwide and found that of those that were surveyed, 72% said the stigma associated with mental illness prevents many United States workers from seeking help. What do you think can be done from an employer's perspective to break that stigma?
1: Wow, that, that's such a shocking and disheartening it um, statistic <laughs> Isn't it, to, for me to hear. Because I, I, I was like, darn it, I thought we were getting better, better at this <laughs> more quickly. Um, and I always tell people, when I, you know, when, sometimes when I'm seeing new patients and they come in and they were talking about some of their resistance to coming in, and I'm oh, like,
0: yeah.
1: I'm like, well, how, how long did it take you to get in to, to see me? And like, well, yeah, you had a waiting list of like three months. I'm like, why do you think that is? You think yeah, exactly. it's because you're the only person that's experiencing this? You know, our, our our office takes 25 to 30 calls a day for, for new patient appointments, scrambling to try to get in. Everybody oh, wow. is flooded. Everybody is overwhelmed. So, wow. you know, I think sometimes just helping to reinforce to people that, listen, They're this not is alone. not a you problem. This is an us problem. That's
0: um, a nice way it, to put it. it <laughs>
1: yeah. So I, I, I think, you know, there I think there's a number of things it can do to to help break stigma. I I think that, you know, just the availability of, of having, you know, these types of opportunities for communication, um, that we make available to employees. I think that, um, that letting people know that, listen, there, there's enough of this kind of problem out there that we have systems in place to help with this. Um, I think when you, when you hear, you know, messages from celebrities who've had struggles with, with mental health illness, I think that does a lot to help normalize this, uh, this experience. I mean, it, it's really part of the human condition. It's, it's um, you know, I, I obviously I'm biased because I do this every day, but it's always so shocking to me that, that people would somehow think that the, the part of your body that is absolutely the most complex and complicated system in your body at times needs attention, just like your heart or your liver or your kidneys do. It's like, um, it's just, it's just shocking. It's like, boy, this is the, this is the toughest part, right? This is the, this is the part that <laughs> is you know, responsible for doing the most things and we demand the most of it and it, and it has the most far reaching effects. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's like, well, my gosh, yeah, of course we ought to be paying attention to that.
0: Yeah. You know, that, that's the tr- I mean, I'm literally sitting here with a, a smile on my face. I mean, you know, you have a hamstring issue and you don't mind telling people I've got a hamstring issue. You know, if you have a, a stress you know issue that you can't somehow navigate and you need to talk with somebody about it or need some assistance we're we're afraid to tell anybody that you know and and you really just put it in in logical terms for 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 me especially but for everyone who listens i mean that really made a lot of sense the way you describe that so what yeah do you- sort of
1: like if, if, if you were having you know if you were having problems with your car and you took it to the mechanic and say listen just just <clears throat> don't don't look at the engine don't do anything with the engine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay. well, that's,
1: that's, sort of, that's sort of what responsible for everything else I know but could you just look at the tires well but it won't start well could you just look at the air conditioner then Uh, yeah
0: that's a great analogy actually it really is well what do you think employers can do to to be more proactive to help support the, the mental health of their employees
1: you know I think one thing is certainly education and you know, I, I know it, there's always the risk of the, the eye roll effect, right? It's like, oh, we hear something else from our employers yeah. telling us something we ought to be <laughs> doing to take care of ourselves. But, but I think that y- you've got to have that base, you know, sort of background messaging out there. Because what what something gets and tosses in the trash or, or files in their in their trash folder, in their email one day – Um, uh, you know, a week later, they, you know, something might happen in their life and they're like, now, where is that again? Where did I put that? Oh my gosh, where did I? (laughs) I Um, so I think, yeah, right. So, so even, even if it feels like we're beating our heads against the wall at times, I think it's good to have that baseline level of messaging that, listen, these are, these are real conditions. There's help that's available. Uh, your employer has specific things in place to help with this, um, you need that kind of background messaging. It's just like with, you know, marketing 101, right? You have to tell somebody something or put something in front of somebody seven times on average before it will start to sink in or they'll start to to know it. So I think one thing is that ongoing, those ongoing low-level educational pieces. Um, and then, I you know, I think certainly there are specific programs that uh, employers can Um, can utilize that are helpful Um, I think over the past few decades we've seen the development of a number of employee assistance programs that um, that that sort of grew out of this increasing recognition of the need for mental health or substance abuse services Um, and there are other types of um, programs beyond EAPs now there are some that try to take a more proactive approach that work with employers to provide a little bit more hands-on ongoing education Sometimes employers will wrap these types of educational opportunities into part of uh, their ongoing professional development programs. I th- always think that's a nice way to sort of capture some hearts and minds. I mean, I, I think we're all sensitive to, to doing things that can affect worker you know, productivity and how much time are we taking away from people's days. But if a company has a certain amount of time dedicated to Ongoing education or professional development every year. I think that's a great opportunity. Sometimes to to have these types of conversations or bring in people to talk on these topics. If it's already time that is essentially sort of earmarked or carved out, I think this is a great use of uh, of you know of time for you know under the broad category of employee education or professional development.
0: I like those ideas. I think I'm good. (laughs) You have to talk with my employees in the next year and see what I did. (laughs) I I really think that that's that's a great idea. Um, What happens, though, with the work environment if mental health continues to be put on the back burner? Because, you know, there are a lot of companies that are like, you know, we got to hit productivity and profit, 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 which I'm all about profitability and, and assisting our members and that sort of thing. But I also know that the health of my employees is a driver to the organization's success, and so yeah. what happens if if companies don't get it?
1: <laughs> you know, it it, it um, t- taking care of employees this way is not only sort of the the quote unquote right thing to do uh, from the from the standpoint of just caring about other people as people. It's also the right thing to do just purely from a business sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mental health conditions are extraordinarily um, costly in terms of lost productivity. Um, m- most, you know, major organizations, if you, look at the, if you look at the CDC, if you look at the World Health Organization, if you look at surveys that are done by universities around the world, depression typically ranks third among all health conditions in terms of the cost to annual productivity. Wow. Um, the top two are cancer and bronchitis. Cancer because bronchitis. it can take you out of the workplace for so long. And bronchitis because, well, although it's not often not terribly severe, it's so prevalent. Yeah. And then depression follows closely on the heels there because this is something that can affect people through the, um, at any point in their life and can oftentimes be recurrent. And, um, and the costs are not just, and this is really exclusive of the direct medical cost to care for these patients. This is purely just productivity issue. And, mm-hmm. it's, and and actually, and, and oftentimes we think about the impact of lost work days or absenteeism, and that is the tip of the iceberg. Um, presenteeism, the reduction in work productivity that people have as a result of how they're feeling, even though they're, they're physically located at work that day, is estimated to be 10 times higher than the cost of absenteeism. One recent wow. report I saw from a few years ago <laughs> Said that the estimated cost in the U.S. of absenteeism because of because of depression is about one hundred and fifty billion dollars a year. Oh my gosh! But the but the cost of productivity due to presenteeism, the reduction in productivity of people who are physically at work but not working up to their capacity, is fifteen hundred billion as opposed to one hundred and fifty billion. So wow. it's it's it, it's in employers' best interest because you're you're you know you're you're going to be You know, it's like if you had a um, delivery service and you were never doing any maintenance on your vehicles, Um, you know, it's, so not only is it the right thing to do in terms of taking care of one another, it's, it's the right business decision to make. Your, 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 your employees are, are much better, are, are, are better tools for your industry if, uh, if they're maintained and if they're working
0: well. Wow. I, I'm, I'm learning something every time you open your mouth, Chris. (laughs) Um, Let me ask you, is depression one of the bigger issues you're seeing as a result of the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, depression, anxiety, sleep, you know, sleep disorders. um, Those are probably the things that, and they all feed off one another, right? If you're, these are traveling companions. So when, Uh, having any one of those three things increases the likelihood of having the other two or increases the severity of the other two.
0: And that makes Um, sense. Yeah.
1: So, so yeah, it's, uh, and again, although there certainly are more disabling uh, mental health conditions, I mean, arguably illnesses like bipolar disorder, like schizophrenia, like post-traumatic stress disorder um, have perhaps an even higher impact on the individual. Uh, it's just it's a numbers game. So the, the the number of people who will have an episode of major depressive disorder or an anxiety disorder at some time in their life is much, much greater than the percentage of people who will eventually be diagnosed with an illness like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. So even though those are, in some ways, more persistent and severe mental illnesses, um, they're, they're a little more contained, whereas depression, anxiety... Uh, you know, sleep disturbances. That's, you know, th- these are things that we're, we're all so much more vulnerable to.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, well, I mean, and I can certainly understand that, but geez, you know, I don't think people really understand all of the types of issues that, that psychiatrists run into, but more importantly, what the pandemic has brought upon us, you know, so that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, Let's turn the tables a little bit. So, if employees aren't open about their mental health struggles, how can team leaders or supervisors step in if they notice that their employees just seem to be stressed or overwhelmed or, or just not handling things well? How, I mean, what does that look like?
1: I you know I, I think there's there's a bit of an art to this. Um, obviously, in the in the current regulatory environment, we're all very cautious about. <laughs> uh, about HIPAA and patient yeah, exactly. privacy, and and sometimes we were fearful of overstepping. Um, but I, I, I think you're always on pretty solid footing if you're expressing concern. Um, so you know, I I, I certainly I, you know coach people sometimes to say if, if you've got an employee uh, and you're and you're concerned about this, approach them and say you know try to start off with you know from from the positive standpoint of uh, of where your concern is coming from listen you are important to our organization and some people that um have have been concerned about how you seem to be feeling that that you know pe- people who know you and who've worked with you for a long time they they just feel like something's different and you, you know and it, your your happiness here is important to us your your health is important to us um Uh, because we care about you as a person and quite honestly we care about you as a part of this as a part of this company and if there's something that's going on that's impairing your ability to function in the way that you can normally function we want to work with you to figure out how to how to fix that Um, so so i think if you can approach it from a standpoint of of concern a standpoint of care um, and a standpoint, of, from the standpoint of you know, you're important to us. Your well-being is important to us, and it doesn't have to be Pollyanna-ish. I think it's perfectly good, perfectly reasonable to say because also this this affects the all of our success, right? This, mm-hmm. this, if you're a part of our team here, um, your your efforts is part of what keeps this this ship going. So, so we have a vested interest from our point as well as our interest on your behalf um, to figure out what we can do to 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 help you feel and function better,
0: and I, I've always heard sometimes just saying, "How can I help you?" You know, yeah. and that's kind of, you know, exactly what you were saying. And I think that can open up some willingness, maybe, to share. Um, any examples on what an employer can can do to um, encourage their employees to take that time and space that they need for their own mental health? I, I've heard of a couple of companies, and I'm I don't know if if you can answer it and then I'll tell you what I've heard other companies are doing. Yeah,
1: you know, I think, I think this is a, is a tough thing. And I, and I think this is probably one of the, the weak points of the, of the system in terms of, okay, once, once you've identified somebody who may you know, be in distress or who may need something, um, how, how do you make effective use of whatever resources you have to bring to bear? um to help because where i see this uh, on the treatment side um or as a physician i got to tell you one of my least favorite things is when i get a request for disability paperwork or or (laughs) the time off work paperwork not not because i don't like well no partially because i don't like filling out paperwork (laughs) Um, but 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 mainly because i i feel like there's a huge disconnect in in what's being asked on those forms sometimes and what what I know about the patient as somebody who may see them for these small snippets of time every once in a while, <clears throat> and how are people most effectively using that time off? So one you know one of my concerns is I, I sometimes see people saying, "Well, you know, how much time or how much time should I take off, or how much time am I, uh, you know, are are you going to give me off?" And I'm and I and I I struggle. I'm always at a loss with that. It's like, well, I I don't know. It could be so different for each person. But the important thing is what you're doing with that time. I'm I'm always sort of concerned when I when I you know, companies are saying, well, how long should they have off and how many appointments are they gonna have then? It's like, well, my, my belief is if if there are things that are going on that that require you to be off work, that then during that time off you should be doing more than just coming to see me in the office for fifteen minutes once a month or once every few months, uh, and probably more than maybe you know seeing your therapist every once a, you know once a week or once every few weeks that it would make sense for me to, to say that's precious time that we've got time away from work. How can we be maximizing the efficiency of that towards really getting people back up and running? so almost some sort of expectation that listen, if, if things are bad enough that you're off work, we want to work really intensively this time because sometimes just being away from the stressor for a bit, doesn't change things much, especially if you're going to go back to a very similar situation. So I I would, I would love for there to be a way to, to try to increase um, the type of services that are provided to people during the time that they're off work with some, you know, some life coaching, some things to build up their stress hardiness for identifying how, you know, what is going on at work that's particularly stressful and seeing if there are things that can be done in terms of accommodations, I, I, it just feels like we're, we're wasting some precious time away from work and, and not doing as much as we could be. And we're just giving people sort of a little bit of a respite before throwing them back to, on the front line.
0: That is really interesting because um, what I was uh, referencing when I started the question was what we're seeing in the news now. I think it was Nike that gave a week off to their employees. And there's a, an organization here in Indianapolis that gave a day off. But basically what you're saying, I mean, yeah, it's nice to, you know, have that time off. But for the people who aren't, I guess, experiencing the stress issues, it's an extra vacation and if they have the whole week off. But somebody who's really having some difficulty, it might not be providing exactly what they need, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I just, I just, you know, that's one of my biggest struggles with this is, um, I'm. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm a bad psychiatrist because I, <laughs> no, I, I always try like to. <laughs> I, I, you know, well, I try to, but I try to take the employer's um, perspective into account because I'm, you know, I'm a business owner myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, you know, I, I think we, we, pay an awful lot of attention to culture. Um, and with the size of the organization as we are, it it works for us. Um, to, to, to be very flexible. so we're in terms of time off and things we, we, we don't have really hard bound boundaries or strict guidelines but it's also a, a size of a company where this it's, a, it's tribal enough that there's an expectation there that people sort of feel like man, I'm going to work really hard when I'm here because these people really care about me. And they, they really, it's like, wow, I had more days off last year than maybe I really should have for my contract because my kid was sick so frequently and they never said anything about that. There wasn't mm-hmm. a problem. So that motivates me to, on the flip side, to, to do my best job for the organization that was doing good by me. Now that's harder to translate into sequentially bigger and bigger companies, but But I, but I think there, there is this need to, to try to, you know, show, show employees that you care about them. And hopefully the expectation is, is that they, they care about the company for whom they work. Um, but, but in managing those, those, you know, those absences and managing that time off, I, 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 I think there are opportunities to really make much better use of that time efficiently so that you're going to maximize the chances that when people come back to work, they're not going to be participating in that tenfold increased loss of productivity due to Mm -hmm. presenteeism. Well, I'm back now, but I'm still feeling badly enough that my work productivity is so poor that I'm, that I'm still, you know, I'm still struggling. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you though. Um, you know, if you show your employees that you care and you give them that extra, you know, piece of time that they need or whatever, they're going to reward you as well by doing that extra work that you need sometimes. You know, I I had a boss like that and then, I mean, all she had to do was say jump and I would say how high, you know, because she always appreciated and, and, you know, it it really does make a huge difference to any employee, I think, at any level as well. Um,
1: Yeah, I I think at the start of this, you know, I was talking to some, some business owners and I think there was so much fear about are people going to take advantage of working from home? I think that was an overriding Mm -hmm. fear. And I said, I said, we're going to have this conversation again, six months down the road. (laughs) And I bet you that that will not be your chief complaint. I'm like, I bet you at that point, your chief struggle is not going to be, how do I make sure that that my employees aren't taking advantage. You'll be saying, how do I make sure that my employees aren't burning themselves out? Because I, I, I I think this work from home thing, it's ended that strict, boundary or definition so people are more likely to be returning emails in the middle of the night checking things in the middle of the (laughs) night working on the weekends and really i think that's become the bigger obstacle it's not so much oh are people getting things done it's like wow i don't want people burning themselves out because there's no distinction now between home and work
0: well i have to tell people that that report directly to me i thought you were on vacation Get, you know, get off of slack or, you know, yeah. why are you emailing me? Go on vacation, you know, or, or whatever. Or then I'll say, you know what, do not count this as a vacation because you've worked almost all day. So you can take another day. You know, I, I mean, I have to tell them. Stop, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so it's been kind of interesting. Um, just a couple more questions. Um, under the Americans with Disabilities Act, I know we all know about that, um, you can't discriminate against somebody for having a disability, and that does include mental illness. And that means that you can't fire an employee or reject them for a job or promotion or force them to take a leave because of their mental illness. But you also don't have to hire or keep people in jobs that they are not able to perform or employ people who are a direct threat to safety. And, and you know, we get a lot of questions about that. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things with a human resources background like I have, you know, you, you can still counsel a person if they have various issues based on their disability. Um, there's a lot to unpack with all of that. Where do you um, or do you get involved with that? Where do you begin with that?
1: Yeah, you know, and as, as you were saying that, I was just thinking I, I might have to reach out and and, and uh, ask you to 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 come be a speaker at some point at <laughs> uh, at one of our conferences because I was thinking this is something that as physicians, as healthcare workers, that we are not well trained in oh, uh, unless okay. you're unless you're doing occupational health. It's very hard for us. I mean, we're aware of like HIPAA laws, and we're aware of the Americans with Disabilities Act. But I think one of the things that most of us struggle with is. Well, how do I, you know, if, if this person is off because of this condition, how how, how long does that go on? How long can they
0: mm-hmm.
1: can they be off? Because obviously, you don't want people being um, discriminated against because of the presence of a medical condition. But on the flip side, if if this person is in an important, high-level position that the company really needs to function, and the person has a medical con- condition going on that's going to take them out of service for three to six months. Mm-hmm. Is is it reasonable to expect that that job is just going to be there waiting for them when they go back? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. in, in a perfect world, yes, but you, but that's that's not good for the for the certainly the health of the company or the health of the economy. So, so I think getting healthcare providers who are filling out these forms to be cognizant of that and of the impact, because you know, the thing is, we, we all worry about our patients. We all worry about the patient in mm-hmm. front of us, and we want to act primarily in their best interest, which is appropriate. But at the same time, there has to be some balance there to say, "Well, listen, we have this has to we have to live in the real world." Um, and and I get a little uncomfortable when if if I have a patient and I'm like, you know, I'm not I'm not sure what they're doing with this time off. I, I it's hard for me to assess, and and I worry sometimes that the employer thinks I have some magical insight into what's going on when a lot of times I'm seeing a person for a fifteen or thirty minute snippet of time. Mm-hmm at best, maybe every eight weeks. Um, and I have no, no idea what they're doing the other 99.99999% of that time. Well, um, go ahead. So I don't feel well qualified to, to be able to comment on, well, are they ready to go back? What needs to change for them to go back? And it's like, wow, you, you either somehow need to find a way to reimburse me to spend m- more frequent episodes <laughs> of time with the patient or much longer periods of time um, or we, we're missing a piece of the system to say, well, how can I rely on this person that's just seeing them for this snippet of time? It's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty smart. I'm not psychic or, or magic. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: um, so I, I don't
1: always know that I'm providing the best kind of feedback to help people managing employee um, absence or presence. I don't always know that I'm providing the the best information that would really be helpful for
0: them. Well, and it's, I think, much more difficult with a mental health type illness because it's not like a person, I I had a car accident a few years ago, I was in a wheelchair because of a broken tibial plateau and I had to have it for six weeks, but I could still work because it was just my knee, you know, and I had a broken wrist, but I I could still think and work and, you know, I mean, and it's not like, okay, um, in six weeks, you'll be fine, you know, with a mental health un- illness because you don't know what what maybe is causing some of those issues. If it's depression, for instance, is it the workplace? You know, is it a coworker that they can't stand? I mean, you, you don't necessarily know right off the bat. I would imagine it's hard to know when that person would be able to go back to work, you know.
1: Yeah, and, and I think sometimes they, you know, they look towards the physician to be the person that they want to hear from most when oh, exactly. completing those those forms, because they're viewed reasonably sort of as the head of the healthcare team. But honestly, what I what oftentimes what I'll put on the form is please reach out to their therapist because you know maybe because of my schedule, maybe I'm seeing this person 15 minutes every eight weeks or 12 weeks, um, but they're meeting with the therapist for an hour every week or two. So they're going to be in that a much better position actually sense. to. Yeah, to tell you how this person is functioning on a day-to-day basis uh, or to have some sort of standardization. I mean, this is my obsessive-compulsive fantasy is that we, we, we bring together, you know, healthcare people and, uh, and HR directors um, and, and come up with some sort of more standardized way um, of, that's reasonable of, of assessing level of function uh, and tracking that over time. So it's not just a, here's form you fill out when you go on leave, um, give us a new form um, every, you know, two weeks or every thirty days or however long, and then here's the form you fill out when they're ready to go back. I, I think it needs to be a much more sort of ongoing, dynamic process so you can so you can be looking at the change. I mean, the worst case scenario is somebody has been off for six weeks or six months, and then you find out they're really not that much better, and we've wasted all that time, that, that exactly. precious time that we had, where we could have done something more with a different type of intervention.
0: Wow there's, you, you, you've provided a lot to think about. I'm going to recommend that I think all of the, uh, all of, especially my leadership friends, uh, <laughs> listen to this. Um, we've covered a lot of ground today, Chris. This has been wonderful. You have, do you have anything remaining that you think we should hear about mental health or that you'd like to mention?
1: You know, again, just that I, I really have been pleasantly surprised with the the sensitivity and the the awareness that most employers have had about this honestly i I think if you would you were to ask most of us most of us would not have thought so charitably about (laughs) um about how employers view this i and and this was my experience on the round table too it was like this is really refreshing i mean i here i thought i was going to have to be the one like Pulling people begrudgingly into oh yeah we got to you know listen to the shrink a little bit and pay attention to these <laughs> damn mind things uh, and, and really far from it it's like oh my gosh it's like they're they're it's like I if I feel like you know, how <laughs> the employers are, are are being more mindful of this than some of our colleagues are so um, <laughs> so, so so I, I do think that's I yeah I think that's I think that's great. I, uh, you know, the, you know I, <laughs> one of those I, shocking areas of kindness that we're, that we're lacking right now. You
0: know what? I, I think truly that that's kind of what makes us a little bit different. Our organization and, and our, you know, we're a membership organization. And I think people, you know, come to direct employers just for a large part because of that. And we're very um, customer service oriented. We're very employee oriented. And, and I think that that shows. So that makes me happy. So thank you for that. Um, um before we end, we do this every, every podcast, we'd like to close out um, every single one of them with five rapid-fire questions. So I'm going to give you a topic or a question, and I want you to say the first thing that comes to mind. So are you ready? All right. All right. Where do you derive your inspiration?
1: Um, well, ha- having been having the conversation that, that we're having right now, that I have a particular patient that flashes into my mind. Um, th- this, this, is a, this is a woman who lives with um, an illness called schizoaffective disorder, which is sort of a combination between schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. meaning that she's subject to having really significant mood swings between episodes of profound depression and then sometimes escalating up into to mania and that she lives with fairly constant um, uh, psychotic symptoms. She hallucinates. She has delusional thoughts. Um, this woman works uh, in a in a in a uh, company where um, they 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 work their people pretty hard. She she has gone through periods of time where they've had unbelievable mandatory overtime requirements where she's worked seven days a week for long stretches of time or six days of work. Um And, um, and, and I frequently have had conversations with her saying, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about it. I don't know how you can keep this up. I worry at times that it affects your, your ability to manage your, your health. Um, and, and I think of all the people that I have for whom I've, you know, helped fill out disability forms or something. And I've had this conversation with her, uh, and she won't have it. She work is important to her and she, she enjoys working. she, she, that's a, that, It's a big part of who she is. So, so every time I'm feeling sort of overwhelmed or stressed, I think about her uh, and I think, oh my gosh, look at all the challenges she has uh, and her degree of stick to itness. Um, it it, it, it makes, can whatever i got anything. going on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, oh, wow. yeah, so, so patients in those kind of situations, when, when you spend all day talking to folks that have such different types of stress and such different experiences and not all the resources that some of us are lucky enough to have, um, that, that's, that's one of the things that keeps me going. Well,
0: that's kind of neat. You, you should share that with her. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um, so what is one important skill that you think everyone should have?
1: Oh, um, if I had the magical ability to give everybody on the planet a, a, a specific skill, it would be critical thinking. Oh, um, I, I that's think, good. I, I, I think the absence of critical thinking is driving a lot of the difficulties that we have in our in our culture right now and, and you know because the internet for better or worse <laughs> provides all kinds of information and uh, so it's of no,
0: <laughs> critical yeah
1: yeah yeah <laughs> and so really now the task isn't you know it used to be that universities were where all the books were right and so people went to university because that's where all the books were and that's where all the knowledge was and now everybody has in their pockets the veritable you know, library of alexandria So it's no longer (laughs) about access to information. It's how do you curate it, and how do you how do you assess the information, and 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 is there a difference between right, (laughs) right, right? So just you know, how can you how do you uh, how do you evaluate all of this information, and, and how do you learn to rely on? the the right experts. And uh, yeah, I think that, boy, I think that would cure a lot of ills.
0: Uh, I had an attorney on the phone with me one time on behalf of a a member of ours with an OFCCP, Office of Federal Contract Compliance Officer. And I was explaining the regulation to the attorney. And he said, Candy, I, I, I honestly didn't know that. And he said, and my, my daughter's an attorney as well and I said, Well, she said that a lot of times attorneys will just Google something and he goes, Oh yeah, he said, I do. He said I was like, you know that face palm emoji. That was I yeah, was like, yeah, Oh my yeah. gosh, how do you do that? And he said, Yeah, or I rely on my paralegal. I thought, Oh, geez, you know yeah. So yeah, I, I I like that critical thinking. That that's brilliant. <laughs> um, okay, so for for Dr. Bojrab, um, vacation or staycation?
1: oh va- vacation at this point in history vacation i mean i think i think we've i think all we've had at best is staycation the past uh, couple of years largely. exactly so, and staycation so, all i do yeah. is keep
0: working but at home yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh gosh okay coffee or tea
1: Mm, you know, I'm. I'm I, I don't have like a Ted Lasso opposition to tea, uh, but I, I still, I still got to come down on the side of coffee and strong coffee. Not, okay. Nothing worse than weak coffee. I
0: agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right. No, this this could make it or break it for you. Being an Indiana native, IU or Purdue.
1: Oh, see, now you're just trying to get me in trouble. So, <laughs> so, 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 so I'm a Wabash grad. So that would be my right <laughs> in. That would be my right in vote. But my, my wife went to IU, yes. and and most of my family members have, but my daughter is currently a Purdue student. Oh, jeez. Uh, and, and I will say, both myself and my wife have been really impressed with a lot of the things that have um, uh, been done at Purdue over the past several years. But, but in my heart of hearts, I think I still would have to, if I had to pick one, I'd still have to say IU.
0: Well, you know what, and I'll give you that. It's funny you should mention Wabash because... Um, I think most of several people on Jordan's team here are Wabash, Wabash grads three of them are Wabash grads I'm sitting here talking with you in an IU quarter zip right now (laughs) and and we have, we have about 85 employees and we are literally split almost 50, 50 on IU and Purdue. So, (laughs) so that was good. So, all right. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. Um, And, and really thank you for joining us so much. Uh, We really appreciate it. Um, Sharing your knowledge and your insight on, on the topic of mental health has been important to all of us Um, with so many unexpected challenges challenges thrown at employers over the last year and a half. This is certainly something that that requires a lot of special attention and, and careful consideration in, in businesses, both large and small. And if our listeners would like to connect with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Uh, probably the best way is uh, through through our practice, Indiana Health Group. You can just Google that or it's indianahealthgroup.com. Or I also do have a website that's just my my name with uh, MD at the end, so Chris uh, Chris Bojrab MD dot com, uh, and uh, every, everything's there linked together, sort of uh, to to reach me or to get to get to me through there or the practice.
0: Well, I'm going to spell your last name because the reason why I was hoping the first time I met you that I could call you Chris was because I wasn't sure I'd remember how to say Bojrab, but it's but it's B O J R A B. And honestly, Chris, this has been wonderful. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. And again, you've added a great deal of value to our work here at Direct Employers. So thank you so very much.
1: Well, thank you. I really appreciated the conversation and uh, hope we can continue it in some way.
0: I do, too. I do, too. Thanks again. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the DE Talk podcast. Stay connected with Direct Employers on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and subscribe to our emails by visiting directemployers.org slash subscribe to receive notifications of new episodes each month.